Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We'll start in an unusual spot. Matthew chapter 24 on the topic of a case for a pre-tribulation rapture. I got an unusual email this week, actually last week, from a fellow in Australia. I don't know this gentleman. His name is Ryan. He writes and he says, I've many times before listened to your sermons on sermon audio and just recently listened to your message on the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I was very blessed and encouraged to hear your recent message on the rapture. Just recently, I was part of a church here in Australia, which was a very serious, biblically-minded church. And then he continues, the leadership was challenged by a member in the church who believed in the post-tribulational rapture, and to cut a long short story short, the leaders fell into that. After I had two different meetings with these men, I was not able to convince them to come back to a pre-tribulational position. They were stubbornly refusing to step out of ministry, and as a result, nearly half the church left. The church is now post-tribulational, and they've changed their name. He goes on, the purpose of my message wasn't to gossip or complain, but to encourage you and to say thank you for teaching about the pre-tribulational rapture. When we've said this is an important topic, it is. And it's not just local. Praise the Lord, as we deal with it tonight, there's no issue at Colonial Hills Baptist Church. But it's a significant topic for all of us in that many people right now are talking about the nearness of the Lord's coming. It seems to be a spontaneous conversation with lost people as well as with believers as we live through the first global pandemic in 100 years. So I thought it would be well for us to take some Wednesday evenings and talk about why we would hold to a pre-tribulational position. That's a wonderful position. And we could say just slightly and offhandedly that if the tribulation is something that we're going to go into and we're going to be rescued from it halfway through it, or on the other side of it, then the rapture really isn't a blessed hope. But the book of Titus clearly says that we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that since the rapture is before the tribulation, it is indeed a blessed hope. And so what we're doing is we're taking some time to be apologists, if you will, Uh, for the position that we know well as the pre-tribulation rapture position. I've gone to a a, a text tonight, and I'll probably regret it because I'll chew through some time that I need for the rest of this outline. But we're opening to Matthew chapter 24, and I want to read to you a text here in Matthew 24 that can bring confusion to a lot of people. So let's begin reading in verse 40, Matthew 24 and verse 40. And we read, and the king shall answer and say unto them, oh, went to the right, I'm in 25, here we go, 24. It says, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other will be left. Now I know there are some in this room who can remember back on the movie, The Late Great Planet Earth, and uh, after that course, movies and books in the Left Behind series. There's a song that was woven together with both of those movies, I believe, uh, though I haven't seen the second one. I read about it, and the song says something like this. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one is left behind. 
two uh, w- uh, are in bed, a husband and wife. She turns around, and she hears a sound and turns around. He's gone, and then the, the refrain, I wish we'd all been ready. So when we think in terms of the Lord's coming, of course, we know that there's going to be a separation at the coming of the Lord, the lost from the saved. And often we come to this passage in Matthew 24, verse 40, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding, the one shall be taken and the other left. How many think that sounds like the rapture? You think that sounds like the rapture? Lots of people do. This passage, however, is not talking about the rapture. And I want to use this passage as an illustration of carefulness when it comes to whole Bible theology. So I want to start tonight by explaining the best way to study the topic of the pre-tribulational rapture is to come at the theme through the glass that we call systematic theology. A systematic theology takes Scripture, every part from Genesis to Revelation, and thematically looks at various doctrines or topics. I think that's the best way to study eschatology, to study it topically and see how the topics divide. Biblical theology, whole Bible theology, comes at the Bible through the lens of a narrative. And seeing how the narrative flows out, tries to see the doctrines that are woven into the narrative while always holding that we have to see all parts collectively. If you're a little bit confused, that's kind of normal because defining biblical theology is a very difficult task. Defining systematic theology, fairly easy. Here's what's important about that. There are some seminaries that specialize on teaching theology through the biblical lens, and they revel in this. We teach biblical theology. Well, do you have a systematic class? No, 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 no. There are other seminaries who say, we think it's the best way to train the theologian, the young theologian, through a systematic lens. Now, I came up through systematic theology, and I'm so thankful for that. It works well with my mind. When you give me any one of the 12 different branches of theology that are normally spoken of, I have pigeonholes for all of them, and so I'd like to weave together my theology from cover to cover. That's not to demean biblical theology. But especially when we come to the topic of eschatology, it becomes imperative almost that we come to eschatology through a systematic lens. So we have a text here that some would read in verses 40 and 41 and say, boy, that sounds like the rapture. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding in the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. But I don't think this passage is talking about the rapture. So let me show you why. If you back up just a little bit, in verse 38, the Lord says, For as in the days that were in before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also co- the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall be two in the field, the one shall be taken. Note verse 39. Verse 39 is the key to understanding this is not the rapture, They knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So the ones who were taken away, how'd they fare in the times of Noah? They died. They were judged, right? Noah and his family survived in the ark. Jesus is speaking about some being taken away, 
but not taken away in the rapture. Here he's speaking of those who are taken away in a terrible time of judgment like the time of Noah. So we want to put this passage into its context. That means we have to go all the way back to the first part of Matthew 24. This is the Olivet Discord. And in the Olivet Discord, Jesus went out, discourse rather, and departed from the temple with his disciples and showed them the buildings of the temple and said, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here a stone upon another that shall not be trodden down. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? The rapture is not the end of the world. I believe that after the rapture, there are several years more, at least seven years more and then a thousand year millennium. But specifically, the disciples are talking about what is God's plan for Israel. The disciples are Jewish. They want to know God's end design for the nation of Israel. And the Olivet Discord is, Discourse rather, is dealing with that end design. It's not speaking of the rapture. In fact, when you come to chapter 25, something else interesting is happening, and we're going to weave this in to where we go tonight. Ready? So come to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and note beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory. Now Titus 2 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Two things. Blessed hope, that's the rapture. Glorious appearing. That's the Lord's second coming when He descends and His foot touches down on the Mount of Olives. So now we're reading about the second coming, not the rapture. For when the Son of Man shall come in His glory, this is the glorious appearing, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Who is He gathering before Him? So this is a judgment. The Son of Man has come in His glory. He's seated upon the throne of His glory. All the nations are being gathered to him. Who are these nations? I'm not trying to fool anybody here. These are people that are alive. The Lord, when he comes, is going to be seen. Every eye is going to see him as he comes in his glory. And as he descends and sets up his earthly throne, these are living nations that are being gathered to him. Well, how do we know that? Keep on reading. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Now the disciples were uniquely fascinated with the kingdom because that's the unique fascination of the Old Testament. For the Jewish believer, it was about the Davidic kingdom, the Messianic kingdom being established. So these who are blessed are going to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. You came unto me. And the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked 
and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king, that's Christ, will answer and say, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Who are the brethren he's speaking about here? After all, the test that allows these to go into the kingdom is how they treated the Lord's brethren. Who are the brethren? Yeah, they're the Jewish people. When you visit the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, outside of the doors of the Holocaust Museum, there are trees that are planted, and they're planted as memorials to what the Jewish people call the righteous. So those who have heard of Schindler's List like to look at Schindler's tree and remember that Schindler helped many during the time of the Holocaust to escape. The Jews even today call those who have befriended them during times of persecution the righteous. Now watch what happens in this passage. Then he will say also to them on the left hand, depart ye from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So those on the left hand are the goats. They're going into everlasting fire. And the same test, which allows some to go in the millennium, causes these to be rejected from the millennium. I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hunger, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto you? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I send you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous will go into life eternal. Now, I turn there purposely this evening, because to understand that this passage in Matthew 24 is not talking about the rapture, you have to have the flow of three passages. You have to go Matthew 24, 25, and 26 and see this whole context of the Olivet Discourse is Jewish. It's about the nation of Israel. And while it sounds like a separation of those who are saved and those who are not, when you pan back into Matthew 24, verse 40, the one who's taken would wish he hadn't been because he would be like that one who during the flood was taken by the flood. So by way of introduction tonight, and then we're going to pan through things quickly, systematic theology puts together what the whole Bible says about any particular subject. It's a topical approach to understanding the revelation of God's Word. Biblical theology, which I think is really necessary for understanding that text that we just looked at, seeing it within its storyline. Biblical theology, on the other hand, approaches the Bible as an organic whole, discovering doctrinal truths while keeping the storyline of the Scriptures in mind. But a study of the doctrine of eschatology or end times requires an accumulation and a categorization of texts that are scattered throughout the Scriptures. Paul Tan, who was a student of Dr. Whitcomb's, made this statement, the pre-tribulational position is based not so much on simple text or arguments, but on the accumulation of evidences and text. A consistent literal approach to prophecy makes the pre-tribulational rapture inescapable. So, where have we been and where are we going? If we can get this to work. We put up a timeline, and I'm sorry about the fuzziness of this, but you can see we're living in the church age. And you can see next to that an arrow going up that designates the rapture. And then you're going to see an arrow coming all the way down to the line itself. That indicates the second coming of Christ. The rapture is before the second coming. These are two different events in biblical prophecy. 
They are separated by at least seven years, and I say at least seven years because they may be separated by longer. And I trust we'll see why that is as well this evening. The middle of it, there's the abomination of desolation. It's spoken of by Daniel. It's also spoken of, I believe, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and also in the book of the Revelation, where the covenant that has been made between the Antichrist and the Jews will be broken, and it will be broken in a most grotesque fashion. Somehow that place where the Jews call home and sacred and the temple will become desolate. It will be defiled. At the end, you'll see this second coming at the end of the tribulation, and you'll see at the top of that arrow the sheep and the goat judgment. We just read about the sheep and the goat judgment. This is the judgment of the living nations. They have survived the tribulation. And after having survived the tribulation, they will be judged on how they responded to the persecution of the Jewish people under the power of the Antichrist. And those who have sided with the people who now are sharing God's word to the world, the Jews, will enter into the kingdom. And then comes the 1,000-year reign. We're looking at our study together under a number of different headings. We talked about the weakest headings last time, and those headings would be inferential arguments. When we look at the arguments for a pre-tribulational rapture, we're wanting to put them together collectively. Now, Walvard, at first in writing, said there were at least 25 arguments for the pre-tribulational rapture. Later on, he would say there were 50. In fact, he wrote a book entitled 50 Reasons for the Pre-Tribulational Rapture. And why would we say we believe the rapture is pre-tribulational? Here's one reason. It's an inference. It's the weakest argument. We can say, well, look at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, you can see Noah, who was taken out before judgment came. You can see Lot, who was taken out before judgment came. And then you can go further with the type and stretch it and say, Noah is much like the type of Israel, after all, surviving during the time of judgment. That's what Israel will do during the tribulation. And Lot was taken out before it fell upon Sodom, and that's really more of a picture of the church. Some like that argument. It's an inference. It's not something you'd want to stake your faith on. A second one, the church is absent. From the book of the Revelation, chapter 4 through chapter 18. And what's important about that? Well, from chapter 4 to chapter 18, you're reading about the details of the tribulation. And surely one would expect, and Dr. Oates hit on this last week, that in all those details about the tribulation, shouldn't there be some special instruction for the church at that time? But there's none. In the detail work about the tribulation, which is Revelation 4 to Revelation 18, the church is not pictured on earth. In fact, we have the promise of the Lord in at least these different passages that I've listed for you, that those who've come to Christ as Savior are not destined to endure that wrath that is going to come upon the earth. Then we noted this, that the rapture cannot be at the end of the tribulation because there will be procreation during the millennium. There'll be procreation during the millennium. And we shared some of the verses that are there, and we're not going to take time to look at them this evening. But in Isaiah, we read that in the time of the millennium, if someone dies at 100 years of age, people will say, oh, what a, a child died. It's like a child death. Now, remember, we shared this before, and I know that some came out of this room. In fact, some staff members came to me the next day and said, I didn't quite follow that. How is that an argument for the pre-tribulation rapture? That's why I started tonight with Matthew 24. And that's why we went from Matthew 24 to Matthew 26. 
And remember in Matthew 26, those who are living at the end of the tribulation, who are designated as sheep, are invited then to go into the kingdom. Those who are designated as goats are departing to damnation and everlasting fire. So here's what happens if you believe that the rapture comes at the end of the tribulation. I'm going to take a breath so you can catch up with me. Ready? Okay, so if you believe that the rapture comes at the end of the tribulation, what that means is people have lived through the tribulation, they're believers, the church goes through the tribulation, this is what's being taught in a lot of places. The church goes through the tribulation, and at the end of the tribulation, the church goes up, receives glorified bodies, and comes down. Well, who didn't go up? The only people that didn't go up are the damned. They're, according to Matthew 26, the goats who are put into everlasting fire. The rest who went up are the saved, but they're coming back down in glorified bodies. How are you going to populate the millennium? You get that? It's really one of the stronger arguments for a pre-tribulational or at least a mid-tribulational rapture. It's the one that John MacArthur loves to talk about, if you listen to him. He's a pre-tribulation rapture guy, and that's one of his favorite arguments. It's a good argument, but it still comes under the category of inferential argument. Okay, it's an inference. It's not the strongest argument, which we're not going to get to tonight, I can guarantee you, which is the exegetical argument. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.